0: business is responsible The future
1: of business is
0: The future of business is intentional and transparent. Welcome back to Future of Business where we take you on a journey to explore the diverse range of sectors and stories embedded in the Oxford MBA cohort and beyond and how they will shape the future of business. I'm Grace, one of the co-hosts, and today I'll be chatting with Ishak Balarinwa, or better yet known by most of us as Ish. Welcome, Ish.
1: Thanks, Grace. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here at last. (laughs) I'm glad I'm here.
0: (laughs) Me too. Ish is an engineer by training and has 10 years of experience across both energy and consumer goods industries. He spent most of his career at ExxonMobil in Nigeria prior to the MBA, and he recently founded a startup called Onfani, an energy brokering platform for small and medium scale enterprises in sub-Saharan Africa, which we'll go into more of later. Absolutely. So unsurprisingly, the topic that we'll focus on today is, is energy. And it's a nice segue because actually the first episode we had uh, on season four of Future of Business focused on the fight against climate change which if you haven't listened to, I recommend going back to. You know, a lot has happened since when it comes to climate change efforts and, you know, unfortunately also with recent events. But before we go into that, I'd love for you to just tell me more about how and why did you decide to work in the energy space and specifically in oil and gas?
1: Thanks, Grace. Uh, Before I start, though, uh, I need to shout you out, Rudy, Bart. Andy, Lakshmi, Stephen, and yourself. The work you've done with the podcast has been absolutely amazing. I need to say that first. Now, how did I end up in oil and gas? To be honest, I stumbled upon it. So, I studied electronic engineering um, here at the University of Sheffield here in the UK. And I'm from Nigeria. And there's this thing in Nigeria called the NYSC. It's pretty much a graduate internship program where mm-hmm. you go home, work for a year before you're eligible to put to work, like full time. So I ended up applying for a space, an inter- a graduate internship space at Chevron. And then I got in. That was literally my first foray into oil and gas. I didn't really think about it before. I'm pretty much very geeked about electronics. So I was very interested <laughs> in electronic engineering. But yeah, I ended up in Chevron. Then after that, I worked at Unilever for a bit. Mm-hmm. That's where my consumer good experience came in. And then because of how much I enjoyed working at Chevron, I applied to work at ExxonMobil. And I got in. So I've been there, like you said, for most of my career prior to the MBA. So I've been fortunate enough to work for three multinationals that had very excellent you know, work programs for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And Nigeria is the largest oil producer in Africa, correct? Correct, yes. And so how do you feel that made a difference in terms of working at an international oil company in Nigeria?
1: That's a great question. Because after my year at Chevron, I... of realized that there is a lot to what I am doing as a person because when you work for a company that is responsible for hundreds of thousands of barrels per day in Nigeria every effort you're making as a national you're adding to the country's economy and that was one particular reason why I felt I need to focus more on this and see how I can help the country in my own little way which is why I also transitioned into into ExxonMobil as well. So you're absolutely right. First of all, Nigeria's mainstay is oil and gas. I knew that growing up, but I just didn't really pay much attention to it. Like I said, I, I pretty much stumbled into the industry. And it is just an amazing experience, especially the role I had for three years before directly before going into the NBA. I was responsible for pretty much business operations as far as the joint venture in Nigeria is concerned. So my portfolio was quite big, and it was quite fascinating to see the effect of every decision I made. So that was quite impressive for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's an especially interesting time right now. You know, even though you're not working for them uh, at this time, there has been a lot of development. Um, it's hard to say, you know, whether good or bad, if it's <laughs> coming from the perspective <laughs> of uh, the oil companies. But it, just plainly speaking, the war in Ukraine has had a huge impact on global energy's prices, the supply side, and it's bad news for most people, but the reality is that oil and gas companies are profiting from this. Unfortunately, there's, it seems like there's no immediate end in sight to the war in Ukraine. And with that in mind, what do you think are the medium and long-term implications for oil and gas companies?
1: So, Grace, I'm going to answer that question in a very, maybe in a very interesting way. I wouldn't say controversial, but in a very interesting way. So, I was reading this article a few weeks ago about what the, the Russia-Ukraine war had in terms of impact on the energy transition. Mm-hmm. And there were three different options. First option was, is this a detour? The second option was, is this a derailment? And the third option is, is this a completely different path? And I decided to look at it in three different ways, really. And that is pretty much driven by, I believe it was a McKinsey article towards the end of 2021, that sort of grouped nine different elements into into the energy transition, pretty much. What do we have to do as a people, as governments, as private businesses to transition to net zero? The first thing they talked about was physical building blocks. Second thing they talked about was something called economic sustainability and the third thing they talked about was something called governance and commitments right now the the russia ukraine war when we're talking about the physical building blocks is for us to provide a transition to net zero there has to be availability of resources yeah now we know we know we know that russia is blessed with a lot of natural resources things like nickel Copper and silicon are pretty much key to renewable energy, and like you said, at the start, these have led to like a supply side short. So there is this, there's a little bit of an issue there. In terms of the economy, right, we've had situations whereby global public debt has pretty much increased by like twenty percent to about two hundred and fifty percent or so of GDP. You have global GDP plunging down by like over three percent. So there are issues in terms of where funds are going to go to because of this issue. But it's not all doom and gloom because as much as we've seen this, we know that there's a lot of money going into the renewable energy space, which is the right thing to do. It doesn't take away from what On Gas is doing right now, but it focuses a lot on the future of energy, which I believe we all have a, a level of agreement about. Now, let's look at the oil companies and their benefits. It's a, it's a benefit, quote-unquote, because as MBA students, right, we know that things are usually driven by, you know, demand and other non-market forces, as, <laughs> yes. as, as we've been taught. Now The Exxon's or the BP's or the Chevron's or any other oil company you, can, you could think of, they've had demand for their products go up They've had prices for their products go up automatically as well. Now, this benefits them, but this does not have a particular say on the future of renewables. Right now, we all hope that the world comes to an end soon, of course. If and when that happens, the price of oil may may not necessarily go down too much, but there'll be some level of predictability to it in a certain aspect. And because we need this oil and gas right now, we can actually continue to focus on, you know, whatever it is that the Exxon's and Chevron's are doing, while government also keeps channeling funds towards renewable energy, right? So, they're benefiting from it in terms of, you know, the profits and losses, of course, but we need to think bigger than them in terms of what we want to do with net 0 I think this is where governments play a major
0: factor. mm mm-hmm. So if I understand correctly, you're saying that there shouldn't be uh, some sort of backtracking as a long-term effect of this war when it comes to the renewable energy transition? Oh, absolutely not.
1: For oil and gas, there's a, there's a general consensus, even, even among the oil and gas companies, that there has to be a way for a cleaner future. So we can't possibly backtrack from it. We need it. We absolutely do need it. We know what climate change is doing on a daily basis around the world. So this is where we also need the oil and gas company. They have a lot of research on their ends on renewable energy. So they'll need our support in terms of seeing through the noise. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. It's it's not it's not it's not as easy as saying. No to oil and gas without a genuine alternative, right? The war right now is not a derailment to net zero. It's pretty much a detour. Mm-hmm. Which, Grace, if you think about it, this is, this is not unexpected, really. If you look at wars and energy transition, if you go to like the 1800s, for example, the Navajo Wars back then pretty much accelerated the transition from wind powered ships to coal powered ships. When World War War came, we had a transition from coal to oil, right? When World War II came, we had a transition from oil to nuclear. Now, that may or may not be the best source of energy. With new technologies, you just never know, and that is um, yet to be seen. But there was a transition. Mm-hmm. Yep. With, the, with, the, with the Russia-Ukraine war, there's also a transition. However, there's something we might be missing out on. This transition pretty much happened before the war. Why we had already started thinking about clean energy for decades on end. I remember the the UN climate summit. I believe it was in Denmark where they were like, "We're gonna the rich nations are going to provide a hundred billion dollars per year till maybe twenty twenty for for the poorer nations, quote unquote, to you know mitigate climate change." I don't think that really happened, to be honest. But that is that is a factor. Now we're not also not going to ignore the the big elephant in the room that happened the last two years, which was COVID, right? COVID affected a great, a great number of things in the last, in the last two years. I talked about the GDP effects earlier of COVID and also inflation as well. Right. So all of these things are, are a detour, which is bound to happen whenever you're trying to execute anything anyway. Now, how do we get back on track? Is the question. Mm, and that's yep. the it's not even a billion dollar question. I think it's a trillion dollar question. Getting back on track is gonna involve a lot of the government and a lot of you know public private partnerships. But whenever world leaders get together, they should be practicing what they preach and actually doing the work more than actually just talking about doing the work.
0: And that's the hard part.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> Absolutely
0: you know, I like the comparisons you made earlier looking back in history yeah. you know, of, the, of the transitions we've made. It kind of reminds me, maybe this is a bit of a tangent, but I know you're also in the leadership perspectives from humanities class. And it just actually reminded me of that class because, you know, we do a lot of looking back at history um, to assess leadership perspectives, right? I think for listeners, maybe this sounds very abstract, but if you're a prospective student or you're, you've gotten, uh, you've decided that you're coming to Oxford for MBA, I highly recommend this class. Uh, it's, it's kind Hi. of a, yeah, I would say it's off the the beaten track in terms of business management courses. And uh, it again brought this up because it's important to look at what's happened in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as we look ahead and, my next question, I just kind of want to play devil's advocate here because you mentioned we need to have public-private partnerships. We need government involvement in terms of helping us get back on track. And so maybe you know about this, but Germany recently announced that they're restarting coal plants because, well, Russia cut their gas supplies to Europe. And so does that mean there will be more investments in oil instead of clean energy um, in the short and medium term. And how do you think it's affecting ESG policies?
1: That's a that's a good question. And I read about I read about that, Grace. Uh, but before before the Russian war, and I think even till now, it's, as far as Europe is concerned, Germany has to be at the forefront when it comes to renewable energy. Now they have the infrastructure in place. To transition back to renewables now the cutting out Russian oil those are those are decisions that are made from a political standpoint, and they have they have their best um, rationale for making those decisions now going back to coal is is going to a not so clean version of renewable energy obviously right however, if there's any country that is able to actually go back to renewables, as they've done in the last 10 to 20 years in Germany. right? So I believe it's a short-term, from what I understand, from what I've read, I truly believe it's a short-term effect of the ongoing political realm today, and I believe they have the, the capability to go back. One other thing you mentioned, Grace, was how does this affect investment in oil and gas? Does it increase investment in oil and gas or not? Now, investment in oil and gas is a very it's a very interesting topic because looking from the outside we get some idealists that will tell us that well let's stop the oil and gas today right but it's not practicable as long as you and I keep playing our footballs that are made from byproducts of oil and gas or keep filling our cars Mm -hmm. we are always going to need oil and gas Right, yep. as we have it today, investments are not going to go down. The most important thing is everybody should be involved in that transition, right? Where investments are maybe drained down in this, in oil and gas, for example, and then are coming up in renewables, for example. Now, which brings back me back to this point I mentioned earlier about public private partnerships. One of the key successes for Oil and gas companies, as far as I'm concerned, is partnership, especially the international oil and gas companies. It is the partnerships they have had with the governments of the countries they've been in. In Nigeria, for example, you can't come into Nigeria as an international oil and gas company without, especially if you're trying to explore in the shallow waters, without having a joint venture agreement with the government, right? Mm -hmm. So when the government is encouraging you to do something, you know that the government is behind you to do it. If I have a renewable energy company and I know that the government is going to partner with me, there will be a lot more incentive for me to do that.
0: Definitely. And you know, in reference to partnership with government, I, I'd love to understand more about how, how international oil companies, better known as IOCs, like ExxonMobil, and how national oil companies or NOCs position themselves differently in their approach. So so when you say partnership with government, the government has their own oil company as well, right? Yeah. So h- how is that relationship?
1: So I'll say in the last, and I'll, I'll speak from a, I'll, I'll make a brief reference to Brazil uh, because of Petrobras. But I'll speak about Nigeria as well, which I'm, I'm pretty much familiar with. So in the last, I'll say... 10 years we've seen a, an increase in the number of NOCs and this is because of how we grow as human beings obviously develop technical expertise in the early days I will say in the early 90s or late 80s you really saw NOCs you know exploring or being in the upstream right now you see a lot of that because you know the the knowledge the know-how is becoming more commonplace now the country still owns the asset, right? So there's always an aspect of joint rental partnerships or co-venture partnerships, as the case may be. Now, what is happening, especially in recent times, in, I'll say, sub-Saharan Africa, is a lot of IOCs have started to their their assets, which gives an opportunity for NOCs to come and take over now this helps the country in employability of its labor this helps the country in knowing that your people are the ones developing these assets and building these assets this also helps the country in creating more you know foreign direct investments in case you know people decide to invest in these companies so that helps and that helps a great deal in terms of how it works particularly with NMPC which is the National Petroleum Corporation in Nigeria NNBC as it stands is is the partner to these IOCs. So it's not a competition. It's a partnership, Mm -hmm. right? So I believe in Brazil, Petrobras actually owns and operates assets as well, right? I believe the NNBC is going to that level. I'm not sure that they're yet In in terms of being ready to... I'm sure they're ready to operate, but I'm not sure they are currently operating any assets wholly right now. Everything is a partnership. And like I said, that's, that helps, right? So there are things that we do, whatever it is that we're doing at, whether it's an Exxon or Chevron, especially with major projects, like the NMPC is always involved because they are, they're part of the deal. It's a, it's a joint ownership, pretty much.
0: So I want to switch gears a bit now and talk about Anfani, which is the startup that you founded earlier this year. Could you just tell us more about its mission and how it would work towards it?
1: Oh, thanks. Thanks, Grace, for that opportunity. So Anthony is, pretty much, let me tell you, it's a word, it's a southwestern Nigerian word, so I'm Yoruba.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the word means um, opportunity, it also means advantage, it also means benefits, depending on the context, right? Mm. So what we're doing is that we're creating an opportunity, from putting those three words together, we're creating an opportunity for SMEs to take advantage of our platform for their benefit. Now, what is it really? i funny. In one sentence, is an energy brokering platform. Like, like we talked about in, in my intro, I've been fortunate enough to work in energy and see the impact of energy on these people. I know, I know the impact of you know oil production in Nigeria, for example, as well as you know natural resources in pretty much every other country. There's always a benefit to it, whether or not. We use this benefit to our advantage. It's a different story, but there's always a benefit to it. Now, I don't know, Grace, if you've been to Nigeria or Sub Saharan Africa. The weather is amazing.
0: Yes, I right? was born in South Africa.
1: I didn't know that.
0: No? That yeah. is so cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, the weather is amazing. And from an engineering background, I've always, in the last five to six years, thought about building my own solar energy company. Mm-hmm. like and there's something about we engineers who always want to build stuff right so my my initial premise was let me try and build a solar product maybe a, a photovoltaic cell or something but right bang in the middle of covid i started doing like some research on my own and i realized that the the issue is the issue about renewable energy particularly solar energy in nigerian sub-saharan africa is not availability right in the last 5 to 10 years it's more been it's it's becoming more commonplace. Now, the issue right now is affordability, right? So we're creating this platform where we're able to, and our focus is on SMEs, we're creating this platform where SMEs can easily get more high-quality solar systems or renewable systems generally, right, for lesser interest rates so that they can actually afford it, so that it it can be beneficial for them. And we are doing that by creating a brokering platform where we partner with a lot of solar and capital providers and SMEs as well. So this is pretty much providing more power to the people than what they have currently.
0: And how is that landscape looking currently? You know, in terms of the competition. You know, that that's looking back to entrepreneurship projects. Yeah, you have to think of Tam, Sam, Song, right? Total addressable <laughs> market and all that i guess my question is where do you see yourself taking this so
1: let me tell you about let me tell you about competition in that space and why this number is damning unfortunately is the truth and what is this number now there are 800 million people in the world without access to electricity sadly 600 million of those are in sub-saharan africa So at this point in time, whoever is in sub-Saharan Africa that is trying to correct that from, whether it's from a natural gas standpoint or a renewable energy standpoint or even an oil and gas standpoint, whoever is trying to produce energy for people that don't have it right now, it's almost like a a cooperation Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: the market is just so large. Now, when we get this to work and there's growth and there's economic growth, we can start, you know, going into that competition and start developing that. But right now, those in the field that I've spoken to without naming names are just people that I call on and are just willing to help along the way, which is Mm -hmm. absolutely great to see. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm excited to see where this will go. It sounds like, you know, there's a big opportunity. And of course it's, it's for the betterment of the people at the end of the
1: place. Yeah.
0: So since you're in the energy space, what Advice would you give for others who want to follow in your footsteps and have a career in the sector, as well as those looking to do an MBA at Oxford? How has it broadened your horizons when it comes to you know learning more about this sector?
1: So, in our in our physics class when we were younger, they used to tell us that you know energy cannot be created or destroyed, right? It can only be transferred from one form to the other. And if we look at the industrial revolution of the mid-1800s, right? Most of it was driven by energy, by the advent of electricity. If you're trying to go into energy, whatever energy it may be right now, go for it. Just do it. Energy is in so many forms that whatever it is you're doing, you're contributing to the betterment of humanity. Now, if it is energy that is obviously having side effects of affecting the climate. Look for ways to try and provide the positives of that energy and mitigate the negatives, right? Find a way to make it cleaner um, as an individual on a micro level and as a company on a macro level, or just go for it. Now, the MBA in Oxford, honestly, it's been one of the most amazing things I've ever done. Obviously, having been taught by fantastic, brilliant professors that have pretty much seen it all, it's always great. But one thing that always gets me is the power of the random conversation. It's like, I'm going for lunch and I meet you and we end up talking about something that I have no idea about, but you have done. And you just give me the belief to do it. There is no way you're going to do an MBA in Oxford without, at the end, broadening your horizon. Like the sky is not even your limit anymore. It's just the beginning for you. So if you're going to energy, go for it. We need it, especially with the world where the world is right now. We need clean energy. Mm-hmm. If you're going, if you want to do the MBA, um, just do it in Oxford. Like, <laughs> aside from the university as well, like the this town itself, the city itself, there's something so yeah. beautiful about it that you are not going to regret coming to Oxford to do the MBA for sure.
0: A hundred percent. For sure. I see that you're wearing our Oxford jersey for yes. MBAT, which stands for the MBA tournament that oh, yes. HEC Paris uh, Business School in France hosts every year. And I went there as well. And, you know, I, I think just tying in to what you said earlier, you're not going to regret coming to Oxford. For me, that was one of the top, top highlights <laughs> of the NBA. Uh, could you share maybe, you know, a particular moment or experience from mbat that has stuck with you
1: yeah you know what they say um two is a couple three is a crowd i don't know what they say about 200 people right so we're about 200 people at at the nba tournament and the one thing that stuck out to me was we were i've never seen us be as much of a family as we were doing now, so I played football and, and ran tracks for for Oxford at the tournament. And at the football game, the football game was like one of the very first games we had. We saw people that pretty much got in a few hours before they had not gotten enough sleep. They came to support mm-hmm. us. We went to the basketball games. We all know how that ended. We won. We have a great team of basketball players. And we had a lot of people just supporting um, squash, badminton, tennis volleyball everybody was just trooping like if you were playing a game and you were done playing again no matter how tired you are if you realize that there's an oxford nba playing somewhere whether it's a singles game or a doubles game or a team game you just go there i think the camaraderie that we built as a group the fact that we're willing to support ourselves is just unbelievably amazing
0: the Truly video. the spirit that we had. And I think all the other schools were annoyed at us for that. <laughs> um, and also, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> also yeah. for any listeners out there that wonder, okay, you know, I don't play football, basketball, like maybe those mainstream sports. Well, I played foosball and dodgeball. They're also esports. There's chess. So, you know, it's a whole array of sports. So everyone essentially can, can be included. Um, But thank you so much, Ish, for taking the time to chat with me today. And it's been very valuable to have your insights. Such
1: a fun host. Thank you for having me.
0: For those listeners who are not yet following the Future of Business podcast, make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Last but not least, we'd love to hear your feedback regarding the podcast and learn more about how we can make it better. So please fill out the survey linked in the show notes.